Relatively Geeky presents Doomspeak. Welcome back to Doomspeak, the ongoing chronicle of the fantabulous exploits of the world's leading leader, the rightful ruler of Latveria himself, Dr. Doom. And in this episode, we are revisiting a series that we have covered a number of times over the years here by discussing Doom 2099, issues 22 and 23. But first, a shout-out. It's been a while since I mentioned that the name for this show and the sound clip that I dropped in there at the start of this episode, and many episodes, came from our podcasting buddy, Herman Lowe. And I want to thank him again, as he has decided to stop podcasting. We can hope it's only a hiatus, but if it does indeed turn out to be a more permanent cessation of his time behind the mic, wanted to thank Herman for providing many hours of podcasting goodness with Misty, with Billy, with Grant, and on his own. And to thank him again for his specific and particular contributions to Doomspeak. A little feedback on our last episode, which had Doom battling a certain big, ugly, orange rock monster. Chris Willett said he was looking forward to the episode. Chris, from Professor Frenzy, It's a Show, said that indeed it was an ever-loving, blue-eyed podcast. Podcasting's Michael Bailey wrote in about that episode. Professor Allen, I enjoyed your coverage of the issue of that orange Rocky guy that is part of the Failure 4. I admired your restraint in not mentioning how Big Comic obviously changed the ending to Secret Wars because that cover made it clear that Doom won, but all that was undone by the end. Hashtag Big Comic is relentless that way. Until next time, Hail Doom, podcasting's Michael Bailey. Charter member of the Friends of Old Doom. Thank you, Mike. Always remember the key concept of Doom fandom. Either you're a member of food, or you will be food. And a hearty hail Doom to you, friend. Uh, Billy D. from Magazines and Monsters had a few things to say. Hey, Prof. It was fun listening in on this one. Sounds like a really good story. If maybe two or three issues from that Thing series, but I definitely want to get them all. Social media support for that last episode came from Vic and Phoenix, J. David Weeder, but I can call him Dave, Pat from Longbox Crusade, Sir Luke Giaconetti, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Sir Iowa's Joe, Keith G. Baker, Karen from Between the Pages, James from Karen, Clinton from Coffee and Comics, Anthony Percante, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, Dark Phoenix, Orion Prime One, Southern Cal Legion fan, Jason C. Fonzo Comics, Sean from Secret Wars and Beyond, Southern Manga, The Lady Laurel, Jenna Reagan, 
Dave's Comic Heroes blog, Sir Manuel Carmona, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, Angel Morales, Doombot, voice actor Gene Hendricks, Longbox Diving, Send Aliens to Me, and Sir Dr. Ange. Thank you, everyone. Now, before we dive into these two issues of Doom 2099, let's reset where the title uh, is at this point, because it has been a while since we talked about this. And fortunately, the first few pages of issue 22 do a pretty good recap of the last good bunch of issues. I leave the savage land filled with unease and brooding, lost and without my armor. I joined three men, the expatriate Lebowitz, village youth Czar, and the mutant Bloodhawk. What we encountered at the end of our journey was seismic activity caused by drilling and an Alchemax executive named Largent, driven mad with paranoia and the rituals of the Swamp Tribe's Black Sun cult. We battled, in the centuries-old temple of the Black Sun as the earth around us shook and crumbled. He claimed that a pantheon of shadows ruled the world in secrecy. He believed me to be a pale imitation of one such shadow. Another, Victor Von Doom. Largent's right-hand man, Kincaid, killed him before I could sift the truth from the crazed rambling. Strangely, Kincaid's own death revealed him to be an android. So though I recovered and repaired my armor, I am left with more questions than answers. Instead of finding comfort in the knowledge, I have returned to my homeland, and I wonder if this is indeed the land of my birth. And I question if I am truly Victor Von Doom. So with that, as the place setting, and with your appetites whetted for action, let's take a break, play a promo, and when we come back, we will dive mercilessly into Doom 2099, 22, and 23. Monthly, monthly, monthly! It's Action Film Face-Off! Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action Film Face-Off! Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face-Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets... Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris! Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it! We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our video dome arena. It also has spikes. It does not have spikes. 
But we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement, but you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade, or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see the blood fly. I just said that! And we're back. For synopses, we'll run these together and then do our analysis afterwards. Doom 2099, 22, and 23 had cover dates of October and November 1994. And cover prices of $1.50. And I want to thank Doom2099.com for helping with the synopsis for the issues and putting them in proper context. The cover of issue 22 by Pat Broderick shows Doom at the bottom of the page, and above him, approaching him, is an armored being. Rise and face the true ruler of Latveria. The story, The Narrow World, is noted as a ball of confusion brought to you by John Moore, Pat Broderick, John Nyberg, and the rest of the team. We start with a little more recap, actually. Wire is waiting for Doom's return, bummed that he missed the globe-spanning adventures of the last pretty close to a year of publishing time. Wakanda, orbital space platform, the Savage Land. It isn't fair. I never get to go anywhere. Doom lands, noting the lack of a royal welcome. But it is enough to be on Latverian soil again. After all, this is my country and kingdom. We are reminded that Fortune's brother Kaz had his brain rewired by the alien Yelestia and is still uttering prophetic-sounding stuff like, Soon all will be revealed. But Doom's first priority is to figure out why his armor malfunctioned in the Savage Land. I believe that our communication with the Yelestia may have altered the nanotech interface, which connects my armor to me. While Fortune oversees the technical consultation, she also does a reading for Doom. First card, the devil. A powerful obstacle stands in my path. Ha! This has been true all my life. We move right here to a volcanic isle in the South Pacific, where the Shadow Doom and the Shadow Lady Margareta are remote viewing this exact tarot reading. Margareta asks Shadow Doom if he longs for the sleepy European country he left so many years ago. Because after the Savage Land fiasco, he can no longer ignore the Latverian pretender. You have forced me to play my hand. Back when we were covering this title, on the quarter bin, Wire and Doom 
spent a number of very shaky issues surfing cyberspace. And here, well, they go back in, looking for the Myridian access way. This is one of the most secure systems in the world, and Wire wants to know why they're there. Before Largent died, he told me his proof of a shadow conspiracy came from these databanks. I need access to verify his assertion. No net glider has made it beyond this point ever through this back door, so Doom decides that maybe they should instead march right through the front. So hours later, the aerial city Valhalla moves across the Indian Ocean, navigating a direct course to the sovereign nation of Myridia. Editors note, this is the flying city from the Fall of the Hammer event, which crossed over into issue 14 of this title, covered on the Quarterbin Podcast, episode 99, which first appeared in May 2017 and is currently available for listening on the Quarterbin Classics podcast feed. Upon arrival, Doom requests an audience with Myridia's ruler, General Tybor Cherny. Wire notices the lack of visible security in the city, which Doom points out is because it's all secreted away, but very much there. Wire compares the strictness of this land to Disney Corp. Editors note, oh, the irony. Bet they put you to death for littering. But Doom admires the general. He is a veteran of the pre-corporate wars. He understands the necessity of discipline in rule. While Doom meets with the aged general, Wire explores the city and notes the amazing tech that is on offer there, right on the streets, protoware that hasn't even been baited yet. However, Wire quickly becomes a target for a mysterious, shadowy figure. He is knocked out and turned over to Duke Stratosphere. Editors note another net glider from those cyberspace surfing issues from way back when. Meanwhile, Doom comes face to face with the general. Once a young and virile military man, the general is kept alive now by the technology of his city. But he knows Doom. Says Doom has been in Myridia before, but Doom isn't aware of that fact. It is ironic, as I lay dying, I stare into that armored mask. In my youth, I looked to Doom as a model of uncompromising determination, and I knew that someday I would have my own Latveria. Doom tells the general that he wants Myridia for himself, and so he threatens to release an EMP which would devastate the nation's information network. Without the InfoNet data bank, Myridia will be hard-pressed to survive the next century. Seeing as the general's life support is hooked up to the data core, he, let's say, reluctantly agrees. But he reveals the symbiotic nature of his relationship with his city. If I die... Myridia crashes with me, and you'll learn nothing. 
Meanwhile, in an island fortress in the South Pacific, Tiger Wild is resurrected by the Shadow Doom. Editor's note, when Doom 2099 began, Tiger Wild was in charge of Latveria, a situation which our Doom corrected in the first few issues of this title. To be continued. In issue 23, the cover of which, again by Broderick, shows Tiger Wild front and center with a background image of a tiger, actually. It's a very nice poster shot, truth be told. The story, Seize the Day, was created by our same team of writer John Francis Moore and artists Pat Broderick and John Nyberg. We start with a comet that slices through the nighttime sky above the Indian Ocean. It's not actually a comet, it's, it's a missile, fueled by focused rage. The fiery projectile arcs past the floating city of Valhalla and strikes the island nation of Myridia. From the screaming metal wreckage half-buried in the Chennaiya street, the dead have emerged, resurrected. A solitary figure in armor with a striped face has emerged. A titanium-reinforced juggernaut with an overwhelming hunger for revenge. Hear me, Doom! Tiger Wild is coming for you! Elsewhere, in the subterranean heart of the Myridian Capital Dome, a surprisingly bloodless coup concludes. The general's assistants and aides consider Doom an outsider carpetbagger, but he reassures Sherney that the information in the databanks are far too valuable a resource for him to squander. The general also reminds Doom that the databanks only exist as long as he, the general, continues to live. Doom appreciates that, considering the man a worthy opponent. The general then surprises Doom by describing to him the nature of the doubts that he has recently been battling. Doubts about the true nature of his identity. And he tells him of how recently a man called Doom appeared mysteriously and reclaimed Latveria from Tiger Wild. I then used all of Myridia's considerable resources to place you under microscopic scrutiny. Doom asks what he discovered and the general spins a tale of his son Eric and his obsession with a cabal of shadows who've manipulated world events. These shadows have supposedly orchestrated the social and political crises of recent years. In another part of the city, Wire awakens to find Duke Stratosphere watching over him. Surprised by this rare real-life meeting, Wire wants to know what he wants with him now. 
the Duke, has Wire plug into cyberspace to view a file he found in the wastelands. It's all of Doom's life encoded as a bitstream data. This is a full-on megagig memory imprint. With the right neurotech, you could reprint these memories onto anyone and convince them that they were Victor Von Doom. Wait, Wire asks. Are you saying that the man I know could be an imposter? We switch back to the streets of the capital city where orderly thoroughfares have become a war zone. The metallic predator Tiger Wild advances towards his intended prey, threatening to lay waste to the entire capital city. He is the medal of divine retribution, and he will not be swayed from his path. Doom and the General are just continuing their chit-chat. With Myridia's resources now in Doom's hands, the shadows had to move. Margareta von Giesterstadt and her partner in these games, the Doctor. The General laments how these shadows have bled the world for decades from their island citadel. I told you taking them on was a mistake, Eric. He explains that Margareta is as old as he is, the general, but she's been through a half dozen bodies to maintain her youth. You called me Eric, general. I am not your son. You think I am he, duped into believing myself Victor von... His sentence is interrupted by a... Cracklash! Wild has arrived to repay Doom for the long oblivion he has endured. Doom tells Wilde that his survival is a mistake that he must correct. The two engage, and after a hard-fought battle, Doom defeats Wilde a second time because Doom, and by flipping him into an open elevator shaft, sick move, Doom. This version of Tiger Wild was more robot than man in Doom Wonders who built him. He also notes that this Wild believes that he is the original Wild. But then he ponders, is that any different from my own current crisis of identity? The problem is that during their battle, the general's life support systems were, you know, damaged. And with his dying breath, the general gives Doom some advice. Remember, the woman is far more dangerous than the doctor. Beware of her, my son. In order to save Myridia, which, as you remember, is designed to crash upon the death of the general, Doom programs the city's computers to believe that the general is still alive. And on the last few pages, Wire rejoins Doom, with both of them questioning, in their minds, the true identity of this Doom. And the floating city takes to the skies again and begins its course, 
and as it does so, Tiger Wild's hand emerges on the hull of the city. And Wire asks where they're headed. The South Pacific. I have an island to invade. The end. And with this issue, we have reached the end of an era. Less significantly, we have now passed the halfway point of the run, with issues 22 and 23 of the 44 total issues. More significant, this is the end of John Francis Moore's run as scripter of the title. Up to this point, other than those two, Ernie Cologne fill-ins, Moore wrote the entire title. Now, the next time we revisit this title for issues 24 and 25, those issues start the transition to Warren Ellis. Those two issues, the upcoming two issues, are scripted by Ellis from Moore's story ideas. After that, Ellis is on the book on his own from issue 26 up through 39. And at that point, while the book and all of 2099 is winding down. We got a couple of uh, miscellaneous fill-in writers for issues 40, 41, and 42. And then, spoilers for a few years from now, John Francis Moore comes back and wraps up the series in issues 43 and 44. By the way, original artist Pat Broderick stays on the book through issue 30. But back to these issues, back to this story. It certainly feels, doesn't it, like we are getting towards the end of an era. We seem to be driving to answering this fundamental question that we've been poking at now for basically two dozen issues. Who is this guy? Now, I don't know for sure because it's been so long since I read through the series this far. But I do hope that some type of resolution occurs in these next two issues, the, the, the transition issues, that Moore wraps up his story, or maybe I should say that his story is wrapped up satisfactorily. I do remember Ellis going interesting directions during his time on the title, but I don't think he's asking these same questions. Now, of course, we don't want to look too far ahead uh, before we finished looking at these particular issues. One of the features of this title uh, during the run of John Francis Moore was the ending quotations at the end of each issue. And for these two, uh, Moore went to a pair of the classics, a pair of Williams, in this case, Blake and Shakespeare. And as he did back in the early issues, the William Blake quote is, of course, from his work that begins, Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright. That, uh, that poem, that work, has been his go-to Tiger Wild reference. Yeah, I enjoyed this pair of issues. We are back at the core storyline after some interesting, for the most part, divergences and road trips, which I am glad that the characters did recognize and call out. Of course, I say that, but Doom didn't spend a lot of time in Latveria, in these issues, just long enough to sink his toes in that sweet Latverian soil. 
And then he's off again. First to Myridia, and then at the end of 23, off to the Pacific Island home of the Shadows. But although those prior issues, the road trip issues, did develop some character bits and touched on Doom's confusion of his identity, in these issues, those issues, those story beats, are really brought front and center. We get a few answers here, and we learn a few more of the questions. This episode will be released in January 2022, a.k.a. hashtag Sci-Fi Comics Month. So I wanted to take a look at this series in that context of sci-fi. The story does take place in the future, obviously, although a lot less further in the future than it was when it was first published low those many years ago. So this series has generally used that future really just as a setting and, and, and little more. We have some technology references here and there, of course, and a flying city, but there's not a lot different between this and a standard superhero book for the most part. I actually think a lot of 2099 fell into that situation, into that trap. Now, in this case, there is an exception. There is, there is one thing which does come up in these issues. It's a concept that has become very common in sci-fi the last few decades. And that's this idea of the personality imprint. And we have it in two aspects, one more subtle. And that is the shadow lady, Margareta, who we learn has been body jumping to retain her youth. And of course, we also have this as an explanation for how our Doom was possibly led to believe that he is the actual Doom. That Doom personality file, personality graft that Duke Stratosphere found online and told Wire about. That is a very sci-fi idea, the downloading and uploading of our consciousnesses whether it's the Matrix, the Singularity. There are many fiction writers and a few nonfiction ones who have written about this and who propose that maybe by 2099, it may actually happen. Personally, I have my doubts, but it was fun to see this sci-fi concept, by now, frankly, almost sci-fi trope, dropped right here into what should be a sci-fi-tinged comic book, but isn't always. So it was, it was welcome here. And of course, reading it here in January, hashtag Sci-Fi Comics Month, perfect timing. So I did want to give that concept a sci-fi shout-out. And this does, sort of, bring us to the question of the issue. Who is Doom, especially now that we have two fellas claiming to be him. And we basically have four possibilities between the Doom we've been following and this Shadow Doom that we've been seeing bits and bobs of over the last year or so of publishing time. 
And in the business world, we use a lot of two-by-two grids to analyze a range of business situations. It's a nice, simplistic tool, easy to understand, uh, visual. It's, It's just a good analytic tool. In this case, our two axes would represent these two dooms with two options for each. Because each of these two folks either is doom or they ain't doom. So that intersection gives us four possible quadrants on the chart or four possible possibilities. Both of these guys could be doom. Neither could be doom. Only our doom could be doom. Or only the shadow doom could be doom. Four options. And I thought about predicting, assigning probabilities to each of these four options, and then seeing how I did with that prediction. Problem is, as an actual tenured university professor, I can confirm this. Guessing on multiple choice questions, not a winning strategy. But I will briefly discuss each of these four options and what they might mean. So, if both of these are doom, one and the same, with time travel shenanigans, this could sort of possibly work. I could see that as the solution to this conundrum. Don't know how I'd feel about that, but I could see it. How about neither of them? being doom. I confess that when I thought about assigning probabilities to the options, this was the quadrant that would have the lowest possibility. I just, I just can't see this one at all. That would be, let's say, very bold storytelling. To tell readers that the guy we've been following the whole time isn't doom, and neither is the guy who's been watching over the guy we've been following the whole time. No, I think that would be too much. So I think it's most likely that one and only one of these fellas is the real doom, and that could go either way. Now, if it is our doom, the doom we've been following the whole time, there is still the basic question from issue one that has not been answered yet. How did he get here to 2099? To some extent, that question has been forgotten, as we've seen him take back Latveria, then settle into the role of Doom, and we've just taken for granted that this is Doom, without really figuring how exactly he woke up there at the beginning of Issue 1. What happened before Issue 1 to make that situation occur? So if this turns out to be the case... There is still some splaining to do. And if it does end up going that way, I do hope that the next pair of issues does that necessary splaining. And then the last choice, what if the Shadow Doom is the real Doom? Then there is another set of questions to be answered, including who is this other guy? A clone? Maybe. You know... It wouldn't be the first time that Marvel answered a tough question with the word clone. 
or maybe it is this sci-fi concept of imprinting Doom's OG personality on another body, a blank slate. That could be interesting. I still want to know what role the Shadow Doom had in that, what role he and Margareta had in this whole version of 2099. So we still have a couple of big unanswered questions, even here as we're approaching, as I said before, the end of an era, the end of our time with John Francis Moore as the primary storyteller. There is a crossroads before us, like I said before, two issues of transition, and then a new direction. And I'm very curious of what both the transition issues and the new direction have in store for us. And I think that's all I have to say about these two issues. For the last year or so, we've been alternating Doomspeak episodes between the 2099 narrative and other episodes covering other of Doom's glorious exploits. Such as last time, when we covered an issue of Big Ugly Orange Rock Monster. But next time, probably not next month, but the next Doomspeak episode, I think we're going to stick here and cover those two transitional issues, as I've been calling them, in which the writing credits are shared by old hand John Francis Moore and the new kid on the block, Warren Ellis. So the expectation is that next episode, Doom 2099-24, and the oversized anniversary issue, 25. And then maybe after that, we'll get back to our pattern of alternating or at least working in some non-2099 stories. And if you have any feedback on this episode, on either of these issues, the world of 2099, the identity of Doom here in 2099, or anything related to our leader, the rightful ruler of Latveria, don't hesitate to contact me. You can do that via email, relativelygeeky at gmail.com, or as a comment on our Facebook or blog post for the episode, the blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. As always, thanks for listening. Take care, stay safe, stay sane, and hail doom. Hail.